Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I'm the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I have none other than our very own VP of Team and Customer Success here at Maven, Mr. Kevin Baker. Hi, everyone. Hi, Glad Kevin. to be here. We are really happy to have you and that happy to have you join us. Super excited for this conversation. Um, we are going to be addressing in today's episode all of your equity and stock options related questions. Mm-hmm. We know that this is the hairiest of the hairy uh, subjects, that it is for most people kind of a befuddling quagmire of language and terminology and concepts that most people, even really practiced seasoned veteran employees uh, often find themselves stumped by. So we're going to be hopefully debunking that um, word by word here. If you've ever received an offer letter from a pre-IPO company and found yourself just, you know, absolutely stumped, this is this is exactly who this episode is catered to. Um, you certainly would not be the first or the last person to be confused by this language. I mean, Kevin, wouldn't you agree? Sometimes it almost feels intentionally or purposefully purposefully confusing. Oh, absolutely. I I think that, um, you know, with a lot of uh, compensation that you receive, like your regular paychecks or bonuses, you know, there's certain structures that people, you know, have come to accept and and get used to. But when it comes to equity, it's very different company to company. And yeah, I I think that, you know, every company wants to show that they are optimistic and bullish and they're going to take over the world and be the next big unicorn. So because of that, unfortunately, trying to determine how much that equity is actually worth can be pretty opaque. So we uh, we wrote about an article for uh, on Maven's website recently uh, called Executive Assistance Can Earn Equity 2. And if you haven't read that yet, definitely check it out. Uh, but we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper and sort of talk about when you get one of these offers and you get the wall of text that comes with that, like, what does it actually mean? What should you be looking for and what questions to ask? hundred percent. So, and also listeners, we're going to try to make this fun because we know that it's not, (laughs) it's not inherently the most fun and we will be reading. I know, I know. We will be reading some legal jargon to you. So we're really going to, going to do our best to unpack this while also making it entertaining. Kevin happens to be a huge musical theater buff. So I'm hoping Mm -hmm. maybe he can throw a little, you want me to sing it? Yes. yes. (laughs) If you could sing. Oh boy. The stock options uh language and talk about dilution in like you know I did not operatic, operatic style that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's start with the basics sure Kevin what is a stock option mm-hmm. and how is that different than for instance receiving stock in a publicly traded company sure well let, let's start with receiving stock in a publicly traded company because I think people are relatively familiar with that you know you get uh you buy a certain number of shares in a company that is being traded on the open market, like typically the New York Stock Exchange. 
and you're getting you're buying a very small decimal of a percent of the worth of that company and you can hang on to that uh that share or those shares for as long as you like uh the value may go up the value may go down and you choose when you'd like to sell that so those uh those shares that you receive are very liquid and the value is very kind of plain as day uh based on the price quote that you're getting right then um so that you know that's a little clearer for people now stock options those are available on the stock market, but also they're available before a company goes public. And really what they are is the chance, the, the option uh, that you have to purchase a share at what is usually a reduced or pre-market price. So you have the option to say, I would like to, uh, I would like to, to own some of this stock. And depending on how, that, how those shares are structured, then maybe I'm going to pay taxes on that now. Maybe I'm going to pay taxes on that later on when it actually becomes something that I can trade. Um, but you're really kind of banking on, at, at, if you're talking about the stock options you get in an offer package, you're really kind of banking on what you believe the future value of the company to be, as opposed to receiving stock in a publicly traded company where you know you have a present value that is very defined. And of course, you're hoping that it becomes more valuable in the future but you know for sure what it's worth now. Whereas with a stock option, you're really banking entirely on potential. And correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, because mm-hmm. I did just watch Super Pumped, which okay. is an amazing- <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> an amazing miniseries on okay. Showtime um, that it talks about basically the, the rise and the, you know, the establishment and rise and tumultuous path of Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it profiles Travis Kalanick and all this exciting stuff, but they talk a lot for those that are just looking for kind of a quick and entertaining, um, expose on, you know, the inside scoop of Silicon Valley. Um, it's, it's a lot of this stuff, but done in a, in a obviously Hollywood way, super entertaining, um, little disturbing, but they talk a lot about different, all the different types of, of options. It, it, it comes into, the, the dialogue. And I mean, at one point, uh, Travis's uh, girlfriend says something about her advisor shares, right? So there's like, there's mm-hmm. all of these types of options. Um, mm-hmm. Can you, can you speak? And, and I know that there's, I mean, there's literally tons and tons and tons of different ones, but mm-hmm. can you speak a little bit to some of the types of options that are, that are out there because they're not all created equal? Sure. There's preferred ones and there's different ones that are, that are, that are reserved for owners and investors and people like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit. And also, what might our listeners as executive assistants and in, employees of companies, what types of options might they be receiving? Right. So they would likely, if they're working for a pre-IPO tech company, uh, which is where we see a lot of the equity offers, uh, you know, that come in. Although it, they've become a lot more popular, so really you're seeing a lot more, a uh, lot more. Uh, I guess like your your typical enterprise company is offering these too. Um, but if they're if this is a company that is not yet publicly traded, frequently what you'll get is you'll have some. Uh, you'll be offered the chance to purchase either a certain number of shares or a certain dollar value of shares. Um, at a at the price that is based on the company's current valuation, and I think we'll talk about valuations probably a little bit later on in this because, uh, unlike of course you know a publicly traded stock where you can log onto a website and see how the price moves throughout the day, 
Um, if something isn't being traded on the open market, it generally has a fixed value until someone comes in and reevaluates it and says, okay, based on the growth you've had since the last time we did this, it's probably worth this now. And then the price will change and then stay that way until, of course, someone comes back and does that again in a few months or a few years. So you have the option to, to purchase either a certain number of shares or a certain dollar amount of shares. Uh, that you uh, that will vest over a certain period of time. I think we're also going to talk about vesting schedules because mm -hmm. they're also not easy for folks to understand when they do this for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and as those shares vest, uh, similar to kind of like how your 401k uh, deposits vest over a certain amount of time, then you get to keep those even if you do leave the company. And those shares will ultimately, you know, they sit on a spreadsheet and wait for the company to either be acquired, where the purchasing company will then buy all the outstanding shares, including the ones you own, and you get the money for that. Uh, or if the company you're working for, you know, goes public, and then your options turn into actual shares, which after uh, a waiting period of a few months after the company goes public, you can trade and sell at your leisure. Uh, so that's probably what most people will see. Now, in terms of like voting, generally, like uh, these will be non-voting shares. Usually the folks who have voting shares will be founders, board members, institutional investors, folks like that. So um, you generally won't, as an employee, won't have the ability to vote or make decisions on how the company's equity is being used. Um, you are really just kind of uh, appreciating the chance to be a participant because of the program that the company's offering. Let's say you work as an investor in a venture capital firm that mm -hmm. makes the initial investment in one of these you know, pre-IPO startup companies. Mm -hmm. What types of options might they have versus what types of options might a founder have versus what types of options might an employee have? Sure. So an investor is going to have a few things that are that are different from what the typical what an employee would receive as part of a benefit package. So they would have, for instance, the ability to vote on uh, on how that stock is going to be used. Do we take on additional like an additional investor if we need to raise more money, for instance, is something that uh, that a VC investor would be able to to vote on with their shares. Uh, they might have shares that are non-dilutable. Um, so for that would that would mean if I, let's say, purchase 10 percent of the company, then if, let's say, the company raises additional money and issues additional shares, then, of course, I might own less than 10 percent. So I would be given additional shares to bring my ownership back up to 10 percent. So as you can imagine, that's you know, that's somebody who is going to be receiving if the if things go well a lot of additional shares over time. So that would be limited to someone who is bringing in a lot of money or is a founder or is a board member or otherwise like a, a pretty key decision maker for the company. Great. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, though that's so helpful because I we hear that word tossed around a lot in mm -hmm. these circles, this, this word dilution, which I mean, until I worked in this business. I thought you were talking about lemonade or something <laughs> like that because nobody likes some watered down lemonade. Mm -mm. Um, kind of similar. Nobody likes some watered down stock options. What does that mean? If you can keep it flavorful, let's keep it flavorful. Absolutely. So I think that's a really good explanation of, um, of what that means when, when a company decides to take on more debt 
you know, just think about that lemonade. And now we've added more water to the lemonade glass. It's slightly less powerful and lemony than it used to be. Some people, like you said, have non-dilutable options, which mm-hmm. makes complete sense, right? It's the people that are making the biggest investment in the in the organization. They're putting forward the most risk. They're assuming the most risk. They're taking on um, a disproportionate share of, of responsibility for the success of that company. It makes sense. But it, at the same time, it's it's important to know that as an employee, uh, in all likelihood, at this level, uh, you would be receiving the, the type of options that would be subject to dilution. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Well, we have clarified that much. <laughs> um, okay. So next question for you. And I guess this is a bit of a subjective question, but if if you're, let's say, receiving stock options at a pre-IPO company, is that better than receiving stock within a publicly traded company and you know how how does one ultimately evaluate that you know that that uh, comparison sure so i i don't know that i would say that one is better than the other they both have advantages and disadvantages so if you're receiving stock in a publicly traded company then chances are good, you know, other than a small holding period that you might have, or you know, you might wait until, let's say, you pass the deadline for uh, short-term capital gains taxes. You can liquidate that stock whenever you like. It is a liquid asset that you can hang on to or decide not to whenever you prefer. However, the downside on that is that, except for you know, a few unicorns you're generally not going to see stock traded on the open market do multiples of like, you know, getting three times its value, four times its value, five times its value. I mean, we can probably think, you know, we can all think of a few companies that have done that, but most stocks do not. So you're really kind of betting on present value that might appreciate into some additional future value um, over the long term with stock that's in a publicly traded company. So stock options, they don't have liquidity necessarily. So if I buy stock options, I can't decide to sell them down the line unless the company allows me to, which they frequently don't. And so a lot of times that investment just sits there over the long term, waiting for this, the company to either be acquired or go public. Um, but with a stock option, of course, especially if you have gotten in early with a company, then you could see returns and multiples over time. So you're really kind of betting on future appreciation with a stock option and you're trading some liquidity for that versus having stock that's publicly tradable. You know, you're, it's a lot more liquid, but the chance of of that stock being your whole retirement fund, it's a lot smaller. And as you said previously, the the value of that is um far less predetermined and, and far less known. Mm-hmm. So there's an, there's an, a, a, an element of kind of unknown volatility there mm-hmm. um, versus the transparency of something that is publicly yeah. traded right here, right now. Correct. And also uh, unknown liquidity too. I uh, was working for a startup in 2014 where I exercised some options. And of course, like all startups, they were very optimistic about going public within a few years and still haven't. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I still have those shares and should that day ever come, then I'm sure that I'll get paid out for that. But 
you don't really know when or if those liquidity events will happen. And if not, then your investment is just going to sit there as part of the company portfolio. Right. Yeah. Right. So, mm -hmm. so we're going to take some actual language now. Oh, this boy. is, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Kevin is also our in-house uh, uh, wrangler of legal ease and debunker <laughs> of... Uh, He's our honorary JD, basically. Yeah, I'll take that. So, um, so we're gonna we're gonna take an actual offer letter that has come from an actual company. This is verbatim the type of language that you, as an employee going through this, are likely to receive. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna unpack it word by word, examine it, and ask all the questions both obvious and not obvious. There are no silly or stupid questions. I'm going to ask all of them because I know how confusing this is. So let's, let's go word by word here. Okay. Um, pour some coffee, people. It's, it's legally. Okay, so subject to approval by the company's board of directors, you will be granted an option, the option, to purchase 2,500 shares of company XYZ stock at a strike price equal to the per share valuation of the company established by its independent valuation conducted pursuant to Internal Revenue Code Section 409A. Riveting. Riveting. I know. That was fun. <laughs> that was fun to say. That's so, only the first part, everyone. Only the There's first a lot more. <laughs> And you're in for a treat today. You're in for a treat today. So let's start with the first thing that throws me off when I read this, okay? And I've, I've read a lot of these. Mm -hmm. If I'm receiving this, okay, subject to the approval by the company's board of directors, that's fairly straightforward. The board's mm -hmm. got to approve it. I get that. So if the board doesn't approve this option grant, then, you know, whatever, then that's a whole other story. But subject to the approval. I'll be granted an option to, now this is where it gets confusing, an option to purchase mm -hmm. 2,500 shares. A lot of people receive this and have a palpitation panic moment and go, wait, what do you mean I have to purchase I have to buy shares? my own have compensation? To... Exactly. I thought yeah. you were giving this to me. What mm -hmm. kind of a strange backward gift is this where you ask me to pay for it? And, and hey, that's not an unfair question. It does no. seem a little ludicrous when you think about it. It's This is why I say, you know, these things seem to be purposefully worded in a way so as to create confusion and alarm. Mm -hmm. So... If I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, I'm about to shell out money, right? If I have to purchase something, I have to give up money. Mm -hmm. So help us understand what they mean by purchase the option to purchase in this case. Okay. So in this case, uh, whoever is working at company XYZ will, if, if they choose to, uh, they can purchase 2,500 shares of the uh, stock of that company at uh, its current valuation. So uh, at whatever it has been uh, recently independently valued at. So this is like, let, let's, let's back up and talk about that for a moment. So you, people have probably heard the terms like Series A, Series B, and, and here those get thrown around a lot and maybe have never really had that explained. So just in case, um, when a company raises funds, usually what happens is they work with a venture capital firm or someone else who may be investing with them. Uh, they, you know, open up their their books and their plans and talk about, you know, what they're building and the market that they're in and the opportunity the company has. And 
that VC firm or other independent firm will then determine like, okay, based on all this, I think your company is worth, let's say a hundred million dollars. If it's, if it's going to be, you know, someone who is starting out, which I know that seems like a big number for a company that's starting out, but you know, that's, that's not uncommon. And so that's what's called evaluation. So somebody says, okay, I believe based on everything that you've shown me, assuming that all of it's true, that your company is worth this right now. And usually they will then purchase a portion of the company's value um, as an investment. So this is, uh, so if it was your first round, that would be your series A. And then of course your second round of that later on when you wanna raise more money would be your series B and then series C, your third round and so on. So those valuations usually, it's rare that that you would get two of them within like a year. It has happened, uh, but typically they're a little more spaced out than that. So in between then, that stock is valued at a certain share price, and that share price is going to stay static. So you don't have to worry about that value fluctuating up and down throughout the day. So uh, this, so the employees can then say, all right, so if that share price is $3 a share, then if I have the right to purchase 2,500 shares, I can purchase some or all of that up to, in this case, $7,500. And so I then write a check to the company. And at that point, then I have uh, exercised my option to purchase $2,500 of uh, share. Now, why would I want to give my company money for my own compensation tax? One reason why that actually helps is for taxes. And I think this is the part where I, I do have to say I'm not a licensed tax advisor. So we'll talk about taxes, I think, a little bit later in this, uh, this program. But if you want to know specifically how you know, your equity package might impact your taxes, definitely speak to somebody directly about that. It's complicated, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think, and, and you, you make a very good point about the, there's a whole other layer to this, which is the, the tax layer. And, mm -hmm. you know, while neither Kevin or I are, are you know, CPAs or, or able to give advice on this, I can say this much, that nothing is for free. Nothing given mm -hmm. is is ever without some kind of tax event or result. So that must always be understood, mm -hmm. whether it's done on the front end or the back end, it's coming. <laughs> there will right. be an event and, and you must know that and know that um, nothing ever given comes without conditions. That being said, I think what's kind of confusing and what, what snares a lot of people um, that, you know, that we've worked with at this stage of the process is this whole idea of, and this is where I want to be really careful with, with the wording is, you know, my understanding is they're not necessarily writing a check right here, right now, when they, mm -hmm. when they say purchase the, the option to purchase. My understanding is that these shares are being, I'm sorry, these options are being awarded to you at the the strike price, at the, you know, at the value price that that you mentioned, Kevin, mm -hmm. has been determined by that third party, you know, valuation, independent valuation. And that at a future time, when those stock options become liquid, and they when they when when they are exercised or there's some kind of liquidity event, such as an IPO or an acquisition, at that time that's when you would effectively purchase them, meaning that at that point, 
whatever difference there is between the value of that option when you received it versus the value of that option when it's actually becomes liquid, that's, that's, well, that's what's known as your spread, but ultimately that's when that purchase price is assessed, right? So, so you're meaning that you're whatever, whatever strike price you receive that option at, at the time that you received it is going to be deducted ultimately from whatever you get from that um, option becoming liquid. So that's, that is the purchase, right? So you're not actually, this is again, my understanding, you're not actually writing a check. You sign your offer letter. Great. Can't wait to start. See you in July. You're not writing a check in July to purchase these options, but rather if there is a future event where this stuff becomes liquid, well, yes, you will have to account for that cost from the ultimate value that you received. Sure. Well, every you know, every that- company does things a little bit differently. Now, I have participated twice in with with two different tech startups in in their uh, you know their stock options program. In both cases, I actually did write a check. At the very so, beginning of your employment. Yes, where it was like early on. And, and you know, you can do it. They usually make you wait like 30, 60 days or so, um, which is probably for the best because, you, you know, you want to assess whether or not you feel like the company is going to be a, a, a good place to invest in for the long term. Um, but yes, you have the option then at that point, from any point forward, you can purchase some or all of the options that are available to you. Now. It, you know, the timing can be very important. Now, in this example, you have purchased 2,500 shares. Now, I gave the example earlier of the, uh, the stock being worth $3 a share. Well, if let's say that company does another valuation and we say, okay, based on your growth, you are now worth this much more. Well, then that stock price is going to go up. So what would have cost me $3 a share might now cost me 10 for the exact same thing. So that timing is going to be really important. But in at least in my experience, I've written a check twice. Uh, one time we were acquired. I did get cashed out. And then there's that other time where, of course, I still have those uh, those shares on the books. And I'm waiting to hear if that ever turns into something liquid. Um, so I think, you know, uh, every every company likely does things a little bit differently. But there are definitely companies out there where you would actually have to write a check. And actually going going to get a physical check to then turn around and write to your employer just just feels completely backwards. But <laughs> but at the same time, I mean that's that's how you you lock in those shares at the current price. So perhaps what we're saying in this case is have that conversation with this employer and and confirm when you say option to purchase, does mm-hmm. that mean that I'm actually handing over and writing a check to my new organization, my new employer, or mm-hmm. does that mean that at a future time, there will be an accounting where I will have to quote unquote, pay for um, these options? Right. I would absolutely have that conversation with your new employer and have them sort of walk you through step by step how that process is going to work so that, that you know what you're effectively buying into. Great. Fair enough. So let's continue. Well, there's a second let's... paragraph, friends. Oh boy. That's right. Oh, there's boy. more. <laughs> so one quarter, 25% of the shares subject to the option will vest and become exercisable on the first anniversary of your start date with the company. 
and the remainder will vest and become exercisable in 36 equal monthly installments every month thereafter, in each case subject to your continued employment with the company through the applicable vesting date. Mm -hmm. So first fun word I heard there is vest. So the uh, shares subject to the option will vest. Let's define vest. Mm -hmm. Okay, so vesting is when those shares become yours to keep no matter what. Whether you stay with the company or leave, the company cannot repurchase them from you. Prior to that, if let's say like what you have here is a a pretty typical um, vesting schedule that takes place over the course of four years. So or 48 months in this case. So over the course of 48 months, you earn really like one forty eighth of your you you, uh, you vest one forty eighth of your total allocation every month. However, with one big catch, which is to say that this is long-term compensation. So if you depart the company in less than 12 months, you know, there, there's a debate on like how much value did you really build? And so because of that, if you leave before your first 12 months, then nothing will have vested for you. So at that point, you are, you're pretty much like even if you already wrote that check to your employer, you know, they will hand you the check back and say, thank you for your service. And that's it. So um, at the end of your first 12 months, however, you receive 12 months worth of vested shares all at once. And you, you see this a lot frequently um, where, you know, people will leave a company, especially, you know, uh, tech companies where these packages are, are pretty, uh, pretty commonly offered. Um, right after they hit their one year, because they were probably planning to leave around nine months or so, but we're just waiting until they cross that one year threshold to make sure that they keep the uh, the 25% of their shares that they were allocated. And Kevin, that's also commonly referred to as a one year cliff. Correct. So you may have heard that terminology. Oh, very much so. Yes. So this, so yeah, after, after one year, you receive 12 months worth of vesting all at once. Now, Every other month after that, you're going to receive 148th of your total allocation every month. So month 13, you receive a 48th. Month 14, you receive a 48th, so on and so forth, all the way up until four years. And usually, uh, employers will often um, continue to offer uh, options for or, or gifted shares for performance bonuses or um, or as annual packages, which of course have their additional vesting schedules tied to them, which keeps you potentially at the company for longer and longer after your four years. Um, so, but this is like what's what's described here is is very common uh, for like uh, as a vesting schedule. Now there are some companies that do it a little bit differently, where they might backload the majority of those shares around like year three or year four. So you might only vest like five percent during first year rather than 25% or Mm. 10% in the second year. And then you get the lion's share of it during year three and year four, because they want to reward the people that stay longer. Sure. Yeah. And so we, we, we covered the vest. That's, that's Mm -hmm. great. That clarifies that. Um, what does it mean to be exercisable? Uh, to become exercisable? Uh, let's see, Uh, that will be, uh, when you exercise your shares, that is when you purchase them. So some companies will say you cannot exercise your shares for a certain amount of time. Um, so when it says become exercisable, like you can actually then purchase your share. Um, I've worked for companies where you could exercise right away prior to vesting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not necessarily something that every uh, that every company does. But in this case, exercising your options would mean that you can purchase them at that time. Great. And let's say you've now received this offer letter. What follow-up questions or follow-up information should our executive assistant listeners um, gather to properly understand the potential value of this award? Sure. So if I were trying to determine what this is actually worth, because right now the only real numbers given are the number of shares I'm being offered and then in, in this case, the uh, the percentages in the vesting schedule. So if I understand the vesting schedule, I'd want to know, for instance, the the price and the value of each share. Now, it, it, looking at the text here, it looks like they may be the same. So a strike price equal to the per share valuation. So in that case, I you know the I might not be receiving a discounted price. I might have to be paying the actual price, which in you know depending on what that number is, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but at some companies, there may be a discount for employees, so it'd be good to know that. So I'd want to know uh, the value of that uh, that strike price uh, that I'm buying into. Um, I would want to know the company's current valuation. For instance, um, which which is is public information if it's been if there if it's been released, which usually whenever a company does evaluation, there's typically a press release where they discuss that, you know, like a lot of times it's public, not every time, but but usually that information should be made available. So I want to know um, and I'd kind of like to know a little bit more about past valuations, too. So like if let's say this was their Series C, so they've done three rounds of fundraising. You know, what was it at A? What was it at B? What was it at C? Just to get a sense of like, what is the growth trajectory that I might expect to see this company continuing uh, on uh, if, if things go well? Of course, you know, as, as uh, you frequently hear in finance, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results. So just because the last couple of fundraising rounds were good does not necessarily mean that's going to continue. But it at least gives you an idea of how the company's growing. Um, so I would I would start with that. I would understand strike price. I uh, would understand the number of shares um, that I'm I'm being offered. In this case, it's uh, it's it's a number amount. Although I've uh, had a package where it was a it was an equivalent cash amount. So I'd said like um, you can have up to a hundred thousand dollars worth of shares. Mm. So that you know you would look at a little bit differently. Um, so rather than for instance the shares becoming more expensive. If you wait on the sidelines to exercise that, that hundred thousand dollars could buy fewer shares. If let's say the company does a valuation and then the value goes up, because then the buying power of a hundred thousand dollars shrinks when the value increases. Right. Um. So yeah, I uh, I would start with that. I would want to know the strike price. I'd want to know the number of shares I'm being offered. I'd want to know the vesting schedule. Um, in this, this one here that we've, uh, we've mentioned is pretty straightforward, but if there's anything different than that, I'd like somebody to walk me through that. So there's no surprises. Probably you'd want to know the, the total number of shares outstanding to the extent that that's information is available to the extent that that's, that's made available. Now I, yeah, people I think like to know that so they understand a bit of like their ownership percentage mm-hmm. and you know, uh, uh, if you are a founder if you are, let's say, a an executive or early stage, uh, you know, software engineer or something like that, then then that number might be a significant whole number. Um, it's generally going to be a decimal. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's if this is you know a company that's a little bit larger, 
um, or if you're not one of those hires that uh, that was brought on. Um, if you if you would like to know what to expect, um, there is a site called AngelList, and it's a it's a job board that uh, mainly focuses on smaller stage tech companies. So if you're getting an offer from a smaller stage tech company, one of the things I like about AngelList is they not only uh, not only do they give ranges for cash salaries, but they also give expected ranges for equity. So if I if let's say you know you were weighing. Uh, if, if there was a, a job posting for a similar job for a similar company, um, they would tell you, you know, you can expect an equity share of this percent to this percent. Um, and that might give you an idea of what to expect. So if you don't have a frame of reference for like how much that number should be, that might be a good place to start. Yeah, that's a great tip. I love that. And, you know, I, I, I think that it is really, of course, like you said, it's really attractive to try to determine what your quote unquote ownership percentage is. But Realistically speaking, we're we're talking about a number with a lot of zeros in front mm-hmm. of it. Um, and the other thing is too, and you know, even though you may, at the time of your offer, um, be able, it, you know, not guaranteed, but you may be able to find out um, what the total number of shares outstanding is. Bear in mind, going back to our previous conversation about lemonade and dilution, I mean that that <laughs> the number of shares outstanding could could absolutely change, and so. That is not a fixed number. That is not static, and so there's there's really no um, absolute guaranteed way of of knowing what sort of a stake you have in this company. Um, it, it it is all likely going to vary and fluctuate. So if a company declines to answer all these questions, right? Mm, um, yeah. Is, is that a concern? Is that a red flag? Which which of these, should all of these questions be, um, you know, readily available? Should answers to all of these be readily available? And if they're not, is that something to be concerned about? Well, you know, if they're offering uh, compensation and they're being cagey about what that compensation is actually worth, then yeah, that absolutely, you know, should potentially raise some question marks. I think that like they should definitely be able to tell you uh, like the present value of the shares and what you would be buying into now. Um, they very likely should be able to tell you about the fundraising history of the company. Um, so that, you know, somebody should absolutely make that make that clear to you and they should do that prior to you joining the company. Now, they likely won't do that unless there is like an offer that is on the table. Um, and the reason is, you know, especially everybody is kind of very is is very protective of their actual, you know, financial information. You know, we th- this industry kind of runs on boasting and bravado and optimism and so the actual hard <laughs> numbers are something that don't get talked about very often. And so like, you know, if you were if you were too early in the interview stage, they may or they may decline to share too much information with you. Um but if you have an offer on the table, I I think you know there there should be no reason they don't that they uh, they wouldn't want to tell you about the present value of those shares um without raising some concern. Now, where things might get where they might hesitate to answer would be about any kind of predictions of future value. Um you know, uh, stock options are overseen by the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. And so the same, you know, uh, uh, governing body that oversees like the stock market and manages like insider trading and the like. And so like there are some regulations around what can be predicted and and how much they can share. So, for instance, like, you know, the, they may not be able to tell you when their next fundraising 
round is going to be, which would certainly would significantly affect everybody's uh, equity plan. But that information can't necessarily be shared openly um, with everyone. So, you know, if they can't provide information like that, that's not necessarily a red flag. Um, but anything about the present value, they they absolutely should share with you. And and if they don't share that information with you directly now that they, you know, they they'll probably try to keep that as need to know as possible. But if you are an employee who's potentially going to join the company and then pay your own money into this program, I think that you do need to know that. Yeah, you're officially on a need to know yes. side of the need to know basis. If, if your money is going into the program, <laughs> yes, you have bought the right yes. to know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So we touched on this a little bit, but just to elaborate further, um, why is it so important to talk to a CPA? What are, what are the potential scenarios that could unfold that make that kind of input so important? I saw some of this play out personally uh, with some friends of mine. So I, I have a, a number. I know a number of people who worked for uh, speaking of Uber uh, for Uber and Lyft uh, over the uh, the last decade and acquired a fair amount of stock. Now, when they I want to say they IPO'd in 2018 uh, or, or somewhere very close to there. And if I recall correctly, both companies, uh, their stocks did not perform well in the first year. So what happened then is that, you know, they, they were given shares at a certain price and that price dropped. Now, the folks who did not speak to a CPA were not putting aside money for taxes. So because of that, they got hit with taxes for the stock price at IPO value, which is now not worth the same amount of money. And so some of them had to sell off their shares at a loss, which likely have re would have rebounded by now uh, in order to pay the tax bill that they had. So understanding your tax liability, it, especially when you're participating in a potentially opaque uh, arrangement that you may not have been in before is really important because then you could get hit with a pretty big bill on an investment that like you may not want to cash in on for a couple of years because it hasn't really hit the value that you're expecting to. Right. And so just to just to restate that a little bit, because I, I think the, the point here is really important to emphasize. Mm -hmm. So in this case, these individuals that you're talking about, they were paying tax on the assessed value of the option at the time that they received it. So let's just say that number was $100. So the the uh, the tax basis was was being computed on the value at the time of the gift or the time of the award as opposed to at the time that the that the option was made liquid it, let's say for just hypothetical reasons uh that number was now down it was reduced it was it mm -hmm. was you know down to 50 but they but in the eyes of the the tax man they still owed taxes based upon that higher number, even though that wasn't in fact the value of that option in, in present day terms. Exactly right. Yeah. So uh, when, when, you are, when your stock options turn into, into shares, that's when they become taxable. And so they look at the present value, which is in this case, the IPO value uh, of those shares. Now, when a company IPOs, there's usually a couple months waiting period where the employees cannot yet trade their shares. And the idea is they don't want people who have been with the company for years to then run out and then sell their stock at the first opportunity and tank the price. But during that period where the employees had to hold on to their shares, the price started eroding. 
So because of that, you know, they're seeing their long-term compensation amount starting to dwindle, but they're being taxed on a higher amount because when they received that award, it was valued at, you know, right. this amount. And that's what, what was reported to the IRS. So the folks who hadn't set aside money to take, you know, to address the, um, you know, that tax bill, they still had to pay it. And of course, you know, and, you know, they may have had to sell off some of their shares at a loss. Um, in order to cover that bill. So that's why it might be really important to talk to a CPA and build a plan for what happens when these shares become liquid and what you might uh, what you might need to be preparing for tax wise. Great. Love that. That's a super helpful, super helpful example. So what happens if I as an employee leave a company before my shares have vested. Mm -hmm. There's that word we talked about earlier. Um, something that sometimes also can be referred to as, as leaving, you know, leaving options on the table, so to speak. What are, what are the implications of leaving a company before your shares have vested? Sure. What does that mean in terms of your options? Well, let's see. So if you have not exercised those options, then really it was just a benefit program that you didn't take advantage of. But let's say that you did. So in um, in the in an example of you exercise all your options. So this is <clears throat> in this offer that we had, there was twenty five hundred shares. So I exercised those options. So twenty five hundred shares, which were planning to vest over the course of four years. Now, after um, two years, I leave the company. So I have vested one thousand two hundred and fifty shares, meaning those are mine. I can keep them and the company cannot take them back. But the remaining ones revert back to the company. So they have the right to repurchase that stock. Now, what they do is they they give me a refund for the uh, the extra 1250 shares that did not vest. Now, that refund is going to be the amount I initially paid for them, regardless of how that stock may have appreciated over the last two years. So they're not going to give me the present value. They're going to give me what I paid originally. So I'm not necessarily going to lose money in terms of dollars paid. But there is opportunity cost, right? So that's that's um, two years where that money didn't earn interest for me or couldn't have been invested elsewhere. So you know there is there is some loss there, but I, I won't be I, I won't have paid money that I did not see a return on. Um, so then the company gets to you know rebuy shares which may have appreciated at the price from two years ago. So this is great for them, but it it does mean that like I'm only going to be able to keep my vested shares. And I will just get the money I originally paid back. Got it. There's no way for you to accelerate the purchase of those unvested shares and exercise them. I, I you know, that was that's something that I would need to arrange to the company. And if I am leaving the company, then I, I imagine that my negotiating uh, position is likely uh, <laughs> diluted, if you will. Um, so it, it would need to be through a special arrangement uh, that was sure. made. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, acceleration clauses do exist. Mm -hmm. But companies are probably not going to agree to let somebody who is leaving early vest all of their shares unless there is a reason why they really want to keep that person happy, depending on the circumstances of their departure. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great. That is that is really helpful to understand. <laughs> so... I have a final question for you. It's a twist on our usual question Okay. in light of the topic. But Kevin, if you could receive stock options from any company, past or present, 
<laughs> Which company would you have chosen to receive options from and why? Uh, if I were to go back and look at someone I might have had options in that ended up performing really well, I would go with maybe uh, and this, you know, this is somebody's company who hasn't necessarily been in the news lately. And I think it's by design. They're a little more of a, a quieter investor than some of the folks who who tend to dominate the news cycle. But um, I would go with options from Berkshire Hathaway, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you yes. if you look at, at their last 30, 40 years or so. Um, you know, that's that's one of those stocks, like I mentioned earlier, that has has definitely seen multiples upon multiples of growth. Mm. And if I had options to purchase that stock uh, at at uh, very little, then that I'd be on a private island right now. I'm sure. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew uh, you weren't going to say uh, Elon when you said quieter. So I yeah, you, well, that, that's exactly <laughs> who I was thinking of is the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, but he's you know that's that's a great example of like employees being impacted by stock decisions because of course you know um, I'm here in San Francisco and and I could uh, not quite throw rocks at Twitter's headquarters uh, from here but uh, but could get there on a bike within like five minutes or so and um, you know uh, that is uh, he's uh, recently offered to purchase uh, mm -hmm. that uh, that company and of course that's been uh, very contentious for a number of reasons and and a lot of the employees who have been working there. I mean, everyone who works there will be affected by uh, by that if it does go through, um, just because like the culture that's been cultivated at some of his companies versus the culture that's been cultivated at Twitter is very different. Sure. And it, it yeah, it's a great example of like how an outside investor coming in and offering, you know, to purchase a company for for more than it's worth. And of course, you know, the board, their primary responsibility and directive is to build value for shareholders is going to see that and say, OK, that's the best deal we're going to get. Let's take it. But it's going to drastically change the company for everyone who works there. hundred percent. And that's I, I'm glad you introduced that. And because it, it it that's a whole other layer to this conversation that obviously, you know, we, we didn't focus on today, but dilution impact influence is not just purely you know translated in this options discussion that there's all of these other ramifications that we didn't even explore and and, and don't have time to in this conversation but i think you very um aptly bring up things around culture direction vision um governance experience all of these other things that are layered into our options discussion but um more on the less of the um, hard facts and more on the fuzzier side, but mm -hmm. hugely, hugely impactful and, and measurable um, in their own way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for tackling this conversation. I know it's a, it's a big one. Um, if you stayed with us this far, um, then hopefully you learned a lot from it. Well, they um, were riveted, obviously. Were Everyone's still riveted. here. They're all here. Um, I think it was a great discussion. And and even if you are, you know, again, there's no shame in this game. There's plenty of people that have been uh, in this, you know, working for 20, 25 years that are still very much confused by this, by this stuff. And a lot of it has to do with just experience and exposure and whether it's, you know, coming to your life or not. So, um, thank you so much. I loved this conversation. I got a lot from it and um, I hope our listeners did as well. Well, thanks. And thank you so much for having me. I, I've, uh, I, I really enjoyed the experience. 
Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.